uh, thoughts on the subject of traditions. And again, uh, as we look at the subject of traditions here tonight, again, I want to consider why we as Baptists believe we ought to reject the traditions of men that are not rooted in the truths of God. And uh, as we consider this thought here tonight, I want to mention again, we uh, come back to the subject of traditions. And uh, so we'll go ahead and look at two chapters in the Bible, mainly here tonight, that deal with the subject of traditions. Mark chapter 7, which we've already looked at. I want to read through that again and uh, take some comments uh, again from there. But also we'll be considering Matthew chapter 23, where we see what the dangers of traditions really are. And so Mark chapter 7, here tonight, we'll start in verse number 1, reading down to verse number 16. The Bible says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the defiled, that is to say, with the unwashed hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, hold the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as a receiving, oh, sorry, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah the prophet prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father and mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many other such things do you. And when they had called unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entering in him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Tonight I'd like to look at this subject of why Baptists and believers should separate from unscriptural traditions. Let's go ahead and pray here tonight as we consider this thought. Father, thank you again for your word. Again, we ask that you'd help us again to understand why the Bible says about this subject of traditions. Help us again to adhere to the truth and uh, stay away from dangerous traditions. Again, bless this time. Help it to be a blessing to the hearer. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. We looked at some thoughts on traditions there last week. We looked at traditions often start with the elders or the leaders 
or initiators, if you would. You see that in verse number three, it talks about holding the tradition of the elders. Again, the Jews had traditions and they came from elders, they came from leaders, they came from human leaders, influential leaders, religious leaders. And that's where you see traditions often spring from, from leaders, elders, not necessarily from the word of God or the truths of God, but from religious leaders. We saw also last week how traditions are powerful. They influence people so much that they'll carry out their traditions and reject the word of God at times because of their human and man-made traditions. We also looked at traditions often become a source of pride. You see in their verse number two, it says, and they found fault. They found fault. They found fault in who? The disciples, because they didn't follow their traditions. Again, traditions often lead to pride, and people often ask you, why don't you walk or why don't you do these traditions that we do? This can even influence people in our own faith system, the Baptist faith system. I've often argued against not only infant baptism, but infant dedication. To do so, I, I don't fit in with most Baptists as a pastor or leader because most in Baptists would say, yeah, infant, infant baptism, that's bad, that's wrong, that's not found in the Bible. But I could say the same thing of infant dedication. It's bad, it's wrong, it's not found in the Bible. I mean, one is worse than the other, in a sense, someone would say, and I agree with that because people think infant baptism gives them righteousness. It gives them and makes them children of God. The people that practice infant baptism believe that you become a child of God through baptism. And that certainly is in conflict with the Bible. But infant dedication is sometimes supported by Baptists, based in part because Samuel was dedicated in the Old Testament. So I'd like to turn back there to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, as we look at, again, traditions often become a source of pride. Someone might say as a Baptist, you know, we don't have traditions that we follow. Or they might say something along that line that, you know, we're anti-traditionalists. And again, we are, in a sense, anti-traditionalists as far as religious traditions not found in the Scriptures. But what about adding, in a sense, a tradition that's not found in the New Testament? Infant dedication. Can you point to a single verse in the New Testament that says, Thou shalt be infant dedicated? No, you can't. You can't find anything that even comes close to that. People will point to Jesus going to the temple and bringing Jesus there. Sorry, Jesus going to the temple and being brought there as an infant child and say that he was dedicated to the Lord there. I don't know that he was dedicated to the Lord there. All I know that they brought, again, a sacrifice like they were supposed to, according to the Old Testament, followed the old traditions of the Old Testament, but I don't see him necessarily being dedicated there. He wasn't put in the temple to be a little temple boy to serve the Lord the rest of his life according to the will of a priest that was there. Again, as you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 1 here, verse number 26 through verse number 28, I just want us to realize that Samuel was a special son, born of a special mother, given to the Lord as a gift 
to live there in the temple and serve there for the rest of his life. First Samuel chapter one, verse number 26, it says, and she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood before thee praying unto the Lord for this child I prayed and the Lord hath given me my petition which I have asked. Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. And so Samuel was given as a loan to the Lord. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, he was lent to the Lord, verse 28. To be, again, the, a sense, a, a servant of the Lord in the temple, to be a, a minister, a servant of the Lord. Even before he was saved by grace, he would serve the Lord in the temple. And you, you follow his life there and in there, and you'll see again him being established as a special child and a prophet. And uh, you'll find again that if you read through 1 Samuel, you'll find that there were other children that were born and you don't see any of those children dedicated to the Lord like he was. And had other children, but they weren't dedicated to the Lord. They weren't brought to the temple and here, we got one, we drop him off and that's Samuel. And the next one, we bring him to the temple, we drop him off, that's whoever and on and on it goes. We don't, we don't see anything like that. So this is kind of a one-time deal. I mean, there were Nazarites, Samson, and others that were, in a sense, given wholly over to the Lord. But these were special vows, special children given to the Lord. Infant dedication, I don't know where its roots exactly came from. I, I believed years ago, I, I looked into this subject a little more and I saw that some had started what they called dry baptism. That's what infant dedication is. It's a practice, again, done by Protestants. For some reason, they started this. Again, if you look it up online, it seems to show, at least a, as far as I could search, that it started in 1523. This isn't a first century practice. This isn't a second century practice. It isn't a Bible practice. And... That's infant dedication. You say that's exposing Baptists to doing a tradition that's not found in the scriptures. I understand that. So I don't necessarily practice it. I don't think we should practice it. I don't think it's right for us to practice it because some will argue, well, you guys do infant baptism, we do infant dedication, and infant dedication is better than infant baptism. They're actually both wrong. They're both unscriptural. I get why people do infant dedication. I even get why people do infant baptism because their religion teaches them to do it. Let's turn to Galatians chapter one. The reality is whenever you start a tradition or you're born into a tradition or traditions are practiced in a religion, people often follow it because it's just kind of what we do. That's what you're supposed to do. And so traditions become a part and fabric of your life. And often if someone even challenges you on a tradition, you say, well, we do this. Maybe I don't know why we do this, but we still do this. In Galatians chapter 1, 
verse number 13 and verse number 14, Paul speaks of his upbringing. And I, I just want to look at this just a little bit as I think it's appropriate here tonight. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the tradition of my fathers. You know, Saul was caught up in religion and tradition. The Jews' religion, the Jews' religion, it says there twice. And exceeding zealous concerning the traditions of my father. He did what he did based on what people taught him to do. And so traditions usually spring from what we're taught to do, and they lead to pride. And so when you start talking to someone about their tradition, and you might say, well, that isn't found in the Word of God, they'll say, but it's found in our church. But are there scriptural traditions? I want to consider that to begin with here tonight. Again, the Baptists should practice scriptural traditions. Turn to Second Thessalonians in the New Testament. Bible believers should practice scriptural traditions. Now someone says scriptural traditions? Well, they're not necessarily identified very clearly here in the New Testament, but they're identified where they spring from here in the New Testament. Reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 15 through verse number 17, we find there are traditions we should hold to, adhere to, support, practice, if you would. And they're mentioned here in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and works. So Paul here writes and says, Stand fast, hold the traditions which you have been taught. What are traditions therefore spring from the spring from scriptural traditions, spring from the writings of the apostles and the epistles. It mentions whether by word or whether by epistle. What kind of tradition should Christians hold to? One's found in the word, one's found in the epistles. Not what's popular, not ones that, again, maybe, you know, Western Christians follow or whatever Eastern Christians follow or what might be something that maybe your parents gave to you and you want to zealously cling to or follow still today. But ones that could be found in the word. We read further here in chapter 3, verse number 1 through verse number 7. It says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that you may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. 
But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which you, we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourself know how we ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Now someone says, well, where, where's these traditions? What are these things that we have been taught? What are these things we should hold to? They're the things that Paul taught. They're the things that we see in the scripture. They're the things that we see in the epistles, in the word of God. And uh, you see again here, Paul talk about things that should be fouled or, or traditions that should be things that we would adhere to. Or as it says, hold to, hold the traditions. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're not to come up with religious traditions or religious rituals or religious responsibilities, etc. Like washing cups and all this kind of stuff that you see again the Jews adhere to. And you see that many religions today still adhere to and many Christian churches adhere to. Things not even found at all in the Bible. Things like confirmation, not found in the Bible. Things like infant baptism, not found in the Bible. Things like Easter-type observances and Lenten-type observances that are not found in the Bible, yet many follow them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1 and 2. What should we be following? We should be following the ordinances or orders of God. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember in all things and keep, it, keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Now it mentions ordinances, which are orders or commands that were given to the churches and to Christians. And again, I'm not going to take some time here tonight, but I just want to mention we often speak of New Testament ordinances in the form of two special observances that Christians follow. Believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are things that Christians should partake in. They're ceremonial, they are symbolic, and they should be partaken in. Believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I'm not going to talk about them here at all tonight, but those are things that we should, again, maybe follow and practice based on what? The Bible, the Scriptures. Again, 1 Corinthians 11 goes on and talks about the Lord's Supper, how it should be practiced and how it should not be practiced. This same chapter does, and I won't be looking at that here tonight. But let's turn back to Mark chapter 7. As we think about traditions, many people would say, well, traditions are just things that people like to do. And traditions are things that, you know, often are passed on to us by our fathers or by our religious leaders, and they give us comfort and all those kind of things. But I want to consider here tonight, and this is an important part of the message, why Baptists ought to avoid religious traditions because of the effect they have on people's lives. We see this in chapter 7, verse number 10. It says, For Moses said, 
Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have, which ye have delivered, and many other such things to you. Now, we look here in the Bible, and Jesus exposes another tradition, not just the washing of cups, which they were adhering to, but a tradition, a far, again, affecting tradition, a far-reaching tradition of Corban. Now, I don't know all that much about Corban. I've heard about Corban over the years and that sort of thing. But I'm just going to give you a little definition that you could find in the Way of Life Encyclopedia um, put out by David Cloud. And it talks about what Corban was about. And I'll just quote directly from there. It says, The Jew allowed and perhaps encouraged sons to devote their property to God and then released to assist their parents under the plea that the substances were devoted to God. Now, what, what, what's this saying in so many words? What, what it's saying is that someone could say, you know, this that I have, and I'm a son, all that I have is God's, and it's going to be God's, and it's God's, and so I can't give any or ought to my parents. I can't assist my parents when they're old. I can't help them out when they need it. And uh, what it does is take away from honoring father and mother, blessing father and mother. Now, someone says that human traditions have no effect. Well, this one certainly would. It would affect, again, how, again, a child would contribute and help his own family. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. The effect of tradition, it negates the effect of the word of God. God said, honor father and mother. And here comes along this tradition and says, hey, you know what? If you kind of, you know, here's the loophole for you. You dedicate your stuff to the church, then you don't have to give anything towards your parents. You're, you're okay. Everything's fine there. And so they have this little tradition that would lead people to neglect their parents and, in a sense, maybe contribute to the church or contribute to the synagogue or whatever it might be, or at least say that it was, again, for the synagogue or say it was for the church and so they could get off without doing much of anything. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8 says, But if any provide not for his own house, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, someone says, is there any responsibility to your own house or your own household? There's a tremendous responsibility to your own house or to provide for your own. Now, everybody always says, okay, that's, that's parents provide for children. It is. But I believe it goes and flips around in your old age. It's children providing for their parents. Maybe when they can't provide for themselves. Because you'd, you'd say, well, those kids can't provide for themselves. They're unable to 
make money, they're unable to do whatever. Well, what do you think about a parent? An aged parent. Maybe they can't provide for themselves. Are they supposed to be set out, so to speak, out to the pastor and you know, maybe somebody else is to take care of them or whatever? No, it's the children there and uh, them seeking to provide. And so again, someone says, what's the effect of tradition? The first negative effect of tradition negates the effect of the truth. It just wipes it out. It clears a way for someone to do something different. Someone says, well, you guys practice this and we practice this. So we're both right. No, we're not both right. We could be both wrong. Someone's right if their tradition follows the truth, and everybody's wrong who doesn't follow the truth. Let's turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. You know, Jesus really, really tore into traditionalists in Matthew 23. I doubt if I'll ever tear into traditionalists anywhere like he did as far as what you see in Matthew chapter 23. We'll get there in just a moment. But Titus chapter 1, traditions have a negative effect on the truth. Traditions, secondly, turn people from the truth. Titus chapter 1 gives them kind of a replacement. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially them of the circumcision. Paul's talking about the Jews, where he came from. Whoso's mouths should be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So they do this teaching, this religious teaching for money. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables, and commandments of men that turn from the truth. What did Jewish commandments do? The commandments of men. They turn people from the truth. See, see, tradition isn't something that you say, well, it doesn't do anything. No, it turns people from the truth. People hold their traditions. They follow their traditions. They'll encourage others to follow tradition, and it causes them to turn from the truth. But what is most important, I believe, for us to understand the traditions, as traditions endanger their followers. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. The traditions that the Jews were teaching, the traditions that churches teach, now I'm not saying all traditions will endanger your soul, but there are traditions that endanger the souls of the followers. And uh, you find this with Jesus speaking here in Matthew 23, and we'll spend again the majority of the rest of our night here in Matthew 23. But the traditions that the Jews and the Pharisees were adhering to would uh, cause both the leaders and the followers to be in danger of hell. That's pretty serious. And so I want to read the first 11 verses and we'll comment a little bit and then we'll go through a little further as we go through this chapter. Matthew 23, verse number one. The Bible says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. 
But do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them one of their fingers, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. And they make broad their phylacteries and large the borders of their garments and love the uttermost uh, rooms in the feast and the chief the seats in the, in the synagogue and the greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye brethren. And call no man father upon earth, for there is one father which is in heaven, neither be ye called master, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. Now this is just kind of the beginning of, again, what, what I could call, again, uh, again a, a, a rant, so to speak, against tradition, a, a, a teaching against tradition, a preaching against tradition. And he starts out here in this chapter encouraging the followers of Christ to observe things that certainly are right, but not to be hypocritical like the Jews are, they, the, the leaders there. They say, do this, and they do not. And it mentions again the heavy burdens. Verse number five, uh, four, it mentions heavy and grievous burdens that they cause men to, to follow, and how the leaders, again, have their uh, uh, ambition satisfied by having people call them certain things and having greetings and all these kind of things here mentioned here. And it goes on, and Jesus talks about uh, names and titles that should not be given to, again, leaders and that sort of thing. And re- in the religious realm, we're talking about in the religious realm. It mentions rabbi, rabbi, and then it mentions master not being used. It mentions father not being used. And all these titles are important. You know, someone says, well, you're not to call anybody father there, verse number nine. That's not talking about dad father. I was talking about a religious title of father. You know, we see in John chapter 17, verse 11, if you're taking notes, you can just write that down. John chapter 17, verse 11, there is only but one holy father. There's one only holy father. There aren't any holy fathers, so to speak, amongst men. And no one should be given the title father. But these are traditions that the religious adhere to. Sometimes it's title, sometimes it's name, sometimes wanting the uppermost feast, all these kind of things. And here we see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus tells these people to beware of the religious traditionalists. We read on there in verse number 13. It says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land, to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you blind guides, which say, 
Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the God of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for who for whether is greater, the gold, the temple that sanctified the gold. He goes on and says another different thing. I'm just going to skip through a little bit of this. Verse number 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. I want to just stop there just for a moment. What do you see in the scribes and Pharisees? What do you see in the scribes and Pharisees? You see, if, if you back up there to verse number 13, they shut the kingdom of God against men. They shut the kingdom of God against men. So you say, how did they do that? Well, they taught, if you look again what uh, uh, Paul talks about, the Jewish faith system was like, they taught that you must follow the law and do works for salvation rather than find grace in Jesus Christ. And so they teach a, a different way of salvation. What do traditionalists often do? They teach a different way of salvation, which shuts the, the kingdom of God uh, to the people that would maybe go into it. And it mentions there, uh, those that are trying to enter in, they, they stop, they suffer them not, they, they keep them from them. And uh, it says there in verse number 14, they're going to have a greater, they're going to receive a greater damnation. They're children of hell, verse number 15. Uh, you have made them twofold a child of hell than yourself. They're bringing people to hell. They're causing men to go to hell. They're leading people religiously to a place called hell. Traditions are a most serious thing because they endanger the followers' life after this life. The leaders will be in a worse condition, but the followers will be in the same condition. They both miss heaven. They miss the kingdom of God because of tradition. You see there in verse number 23, it mentions there, Woe to scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These things ought ye have done and not leave the other undone. Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't tithe here. He's not saying that you shouldn't give here. And he's not saying that you couldn't if you want to give in a meticulous fashion here. But what he's saying here, they omitted, which means they didn't do, didn't foul parts of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And so what traditions do? They leave the followers not following those most important things, but following things that they would say are important. This is important. That is important. You say, what do they, what do they consider to be important? I think it's good for us to consider. Look at verse number 25 and verse number 26. What is it that traditionalists see as important? Verse number 25 gives us the answer. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is in the cup and the platter, that, thou, that the outside of them may be clean. So what do traditionalists do? They make an emphasis on the outside and don't have really any concern about the inside. 
It's exactly backwards as far as the word of God. The traditionists emphasize the outward especially. Keep the hands clean. You know, make yourself look religious. Say long prayers. Make sure people know that you're a religious type of follower. Yet it mentions here in the Bible, they don't deal with the inside. They clean up the outside and don't worry about the inside. And so traditionalists are in danger because they don't deal with the heart. They don't deal with salvation. They don't deal with the sinner. They don't deal with man's sin. And the result is in verse number 33. I'm going to skip through some verses here. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? This is rough. Can you imagine being called a snake, a viper, someone that kills? How should you escape the damnation of hell? He goes on and talks about how they killed the prophets and all these kinds of things. And uh, you find here in the Bible, in verse number 38, it kind of ends here with these words, 39 also, but 38, it says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You say, what's the danger of tradition? It endangers its followers to follow traditions and wind up in hell. They follow their traditions and wind up in hell. The leaders wind up in hell. The followers wind up land in hell. And traditions, they emphasize the outward and they don't deal with the inward. They don't deal with the heart. They don't deal with the soul. They don't deal with... Again, what maybe they, that, that's, that's important or more important, not that there's not need to deal with the outside. Again, Jesus says, deal with the outside too. But first, look at that verse 26. Thou blind guy is clean first, that which was in the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. If you deal with the inside, it'll change the outside. And so we see that the fact of tradition, it can endanger the follower. Finally, as we think about, again, what, what's wrong with religious tradition, it has an absolute wrong emphasis. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 8. I could talk more about this, but it has a wrong emphasis. What's, what's the emphasis of traditionalists? It's to foul the leaders. Follow the leaders. It's all about following the leaders. What do the elders say? What do the prophets, so to speak, say? And the prophet might not line up at all with the Bible, but they say, well, the prophet says, or our leaders say, or the elders say, or the priest says, or whatever it might be says. And again, you think they'll say something in a conflict with the word of God. And you say, well, what should I do? Who should I follow? What religion is right? What faith system is worth following after? Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 20, the Bible says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If they don't speak according to the word, there's no light in them. Traditionalists often avoid the truth and the word, 
And don't omit the light the follower needs to hear. They need to hear the gospel of truth, to come to salvation, to have their sins forgiven, to change their life. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 15. I want to close with this passage here in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus never emphasized the need to follow man-made traditions, but he did emphasize the need to follow the truth. He was anti-tradition, especially when tradition would trump the truth or keep people from following the truth, as you see there back in our text in Mark chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 15, here verse number uh, 6, uh, through verse number 9, I want to end with these verses. Again, this is kind of a parallel passage to Mark chapter 7, but I like to read these verses nonetheless. It says there in verse number 5, it says, But I say... Whosoever shall say to his father and his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited and honoreth not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, the people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and the commandments of men. You say, what am I trying to point out? Tradition leads to vain worship. Tradition leads to vain worship. In the end, you could worship hours, weeks, months, years, found the traditions of the Jew, found the tradition of a wrong religious traditional system, and it's all empty. It's all void. It'll do nothing good for you. Traditions. Why Baptists should avoid traditions that are unscriptural, that do not follow the truth? Because traditions often start with human leaders. Traditions are powerful and people will cling to them. Traditions lead to pride. Traditions, again, have a negative effect, turning people from the truth and endangering the lives of of their followers. These are some reasons to reject religious traditions that don't follow the truth. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.